already read the sermon text, what I want to do as we get started is I want to read the first nine verses of Psalm 69. So if you have your Bible um, on your phone or, or wherever, uh, please please open there. It's, it's going to help us better understand Jesus and why Paul goes there in this text. But we're going to read it and we'll pray, but our focus is going to be on Romans 15 and just that whole argument there in, in, in Romans. So it's Psalm 69. This is David crying out for help as he's attacked for his love and service of God. This is God's word. It says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What did I not steal? What I did not steal must I now restore? O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach or insults, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Father, we, we confess now that uh, we have received a scandalous welcome from Jesus, something we don't deserve. But help us now to remember what that was like, to hear the, the rejoicing of the angels to receive your loving embrace when we still reeked of our, our sin, when we smelled like the pigs as prodigals. And I pray you would use this text to bind us together in harmony, that we might be a community that welcomes others as Jesus has welcomed us. And so I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can see, I'm calling this sermon, How, do we, How to Navigate Culture Wars Inside the Church. Um, it's just, think of it this way, as like, if Psalm 90 is, is dealing with the fear of death, uh, now we have to deal with each other. This is a tool for 2020. It's, it's a little bit heated out there, <laughs> right? And so, to any church, whatever culture it's a part of, when there's major disagreements in the wider culture, it's impossible not for them to not come inside the church, right? We're, we're humans. We're affected by our neighbors and those, those ideas swirling around. And so it's a giant elephant in the room. And so it's good to talk about it. And so what, to get started, right, let's just nail down a few of the things that are hot-button issues of the day that, that Bible-believing, Jesus-following uh, Christians have said and are saying on, have different views on these cultural issues. So, right? So, the, the obvious one. 
masks, right? You all have lovely foreheads this morning. Right? And here's some of the things they're going to say. You're going to hear, good Christians t- will not be cowards and they will take, take a stand against the assault on our God-given freedoms. That's one way to look at it. Other Christians will say we should wear, good Christians wear masks in order to be a good neighbor to love and, and, and be careful and be cautious in the midst of this pandemic. And, and I've heard stories of people leaving churches because they don't agree with their fellow Christians. Right? So this is a big thing. I mean, right now, a megachurch in California is refusing to submit to the local government's COVID restrictions. And they've also publicly declared that all faithful churches will do the same. Very strong. <laughs> right? It's an election season, so you will hear things like, good Christians will vote Republican, because if you vote Democrat, you're supporting evil. If you vote, good Christians will vote Democrat. Because if you vote Republican right now, that's supporting evil. And if you vote third party, you're supporting the evil party that wins because your vote doesn't matter. And if you don't vote, you don't get a chance to talk because good Christians vote. (laughs) Social justice is the big topic of the day. Black lives matter. Surely a good Christian is against injustice. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, said Dr. King. And then blue lives matter. Good Christians should surely support our police who protect and serve at risk of their own life. After all, government is a good thing given by God to restrain evil. Right? There's very real disagreements about how to process these things among the people of God in America. I mean, these are American things right now. So how's your blood pressure as you hear these statements? Are we still friends? I mean, I hope so. I'm just the messenger. Now, as we jump into Romans 14, I want you to see, and I, I need to see this, that, that followers of Jesus not agreeing on cultural issues is nothing new. It's as old as the church. That's what Romans 14 and 15 are all about, is an ancient uh, culture battle, culture war. Right? And Paul is blunt. He uses a hammer. Fortunately for us, that hammer is Jesus and the gospel on how to navigate these things, how to have these conversations, uh, how to navigate our disagreements. I mean, and just to put it in context, the word disagreement probably isn't strong enough. Right? Paul uses the word in chapter 14, a stumbling block. Right? We don't just disagree as believers. We're offended that someone would think completely differently. And that, that's what that word really gets at. That, that there's something scandalous that, that another Christian would believe to the point where I don't want to eat with them or worship with them. Right. Why Paul says, let's decide never to put a stumbling block in offense in the presence of another, another brother. And so the question I want to work through this morning, and it's going to take some thought and some patience, and I can't say everything, so please be patient with me. Um, I'm processing, processing this with you. But how can we as recipients of God's grace, as Christians, walk in love together in the midst of these culture wars? Uh, you know, how can we be a people of peace in a world full of hostility? That, that's what the gospel is calling us to do. And so first point, if you're, you're taking notes here, I want to look at the offense everyone brings into the church. 
And to do that, we've got to summarize the argument from chapter 14. So if you turn your pages back one to chapter 14. Let's dive into the context. Here's the scandal. I want to use that word because it shows how offensive this is. This is what the culture war that Paul's addressing. That the Jews and non-Jews, both following Jesus together, right? That's what Gentiles are. They're, they're just not Jewish. It's another word for the nations. Right? In Rome, now you have different tribes, different cultures, different ethnic groups. They're part of the same community, part of the household of faith. And the problem was, as, as Bible-believing, Old Testament, Old Covenant, now Jesus-following Jews said, the Bible matters, we're going to keep the Old Testament food laws. And God said there are certain things we cannot eat, and there are things that the Gentiles ate. Right? So the Jews were scandalized by what was on the dinner plate of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were then eating things that are forbidden by the Old Testament, and so now you have this battle of if you're taking communion together and it's connected to a meal, how do you worship and follow Jesus together if you can't even sit at the same table out of fear of offending another and offending God and assuming the other is offending God? Right? They're scandalized by each other. And to make things more complicated, here's a brief history lesson for you. At some point, because of riots in Rome over these issues, the emperor got involved. Claudius kicked some Jews out of Rome, kicked mo many of the Jews out of Rome, whether they were Christian or not. Because Christian would stand up in the synagogue and say, Jesus is the Messiah. And then the non-Christian Jews would say, that offends me. And they would start shouting back. Now, I'm describing this this way on purpose, right? It doesn't sound very unfamiliar. Right, and all of a sudden, you've got people shouting at each other. You've got protests and counter-protests. It was bad enough for the Roman government to intervene. And so now the church, at some point, was just majority Gentile. Things calmed down, you had the Jews come back, and you're, you're left with that question, how are they going to get along when you have this massive cultural disagreement? If you're the majority, do you make room for those who are the minority of you? Who's going to win? Both sides have strong opinions. Both believe God's on their side. Both can find Bible passages to, to throw out into the argument. Right? I'm, I'm deliberately making this complex because that's what it was. Right? The Old Testament keeping Jews, Jewish Christians, would turn to a Le Leviticus 11. Here's a great food list that you shouldn't eat, right? Kids, you're paying attention. You should not eat rock badgers, right? If you've ever been tempted to make rock, rock badger chili, or storks, or chameleons, certain kinds of bugs, right? There's just this whole long list that would distinguish you as being holy and, and belonging to God. It was an external demonstration of your holiness. And then they could turn to Jesus, because everybody wants Jesus on their team, and say, well, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So the law still matters, therefore we should keep it. Don't eat bacon. 
And then the Gentiles would fire back, well, let's, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus said, there is nothing that outside a person in Mark 7 that if he eats it can actually defile him. It's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. Right? And the disciples asked Jesus what he meant, and Jesus said, don't, don't you get it? Whatever goes into a person from the outside, think food, cannot defile him because it doesn't go into your heart. It goes into your stomach and then it leaves. And in that way, Jesus declared all food clean. Because what comes out of a person is what makes them unclean. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, immorality, adultery, all these things are what defile a person. So, Scripture's here, Scripture's here. Who's right? right? So you can picture it. There is awkward communion services, a divided community, even as they profess faith in Jesus as Messiah. Right? We know now, as evidenced by the fact that uh, we just don't even talk about it anymore, um, Paul's view and Jesus' view won out that all foods are clean. And we're not going to be culturally Jewish. There's flexibility. But you still have to make room for people who hold those views. So how do you, how do you process this? And here's, here's the first application I think is really helpful to, to process as you enter into a culture war. Right? You and I, I'm including myself here, you bring an offensive opinion or view into the church community. Right now, you, I have views that are offend, will offend or scandalize someone in the church, somewhere, as a Bible-believing Christian. Right? I like to think I'm great and always right. <laughs> My wife will tell me I'm wrong. Right? But it's this whole idea that I can be a stumbling block to someone else. It's just part of being coming from a, a different family, a different country, a different state, a different neighborhood, a different ethnicity, different political persuasion, different experiences. If you're rural, you're going to th- process the world differently if you grew up in New York City. Right? And when you come together as Christians, that means there is great potential for, for misunderstanding and scandal. So do you believe that about yourself? That that you could scandalize someone or even potentially shipwreck their faith. I mean, that's Paul's concern here in Romans 14. In the context, by what you eat in verse 15, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So not only must we recognize our potential to be offensive, but we must care deeply about the faith of our other brothers and sisters. You must care, Paul says. So, how do you do that? Well, here's, here's the wisdom Paul uses in Romans 14, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brief and summarize. But here's, here's the big idea. Right? Everyone calm down. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. <laughs> I, mean, I should just say amen and sit down, but that, that's the gist of it. Right? It's about Jesus and the fact that Jesus died for those also. Right? So, here's, here's one principle. Welcome the weak in faith. That's 14.1. Welcome them, but not to argue. Not to pick apart their logic or their reasoning. 
That makes sense. You come into a church, there are going to be those who are going to be weak in faith and those who are stronger in faith. There are going to be those who understand the gospel and have figured out how to apply it to every nook and cranny of life. They've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And there are those who are going to struggle. And Paul says it's on the strong to make room for the weak. In the context of the food laws, if this person eats bacon due to faith in Jesus and another person refuses because of their faith in Jesus, you have the freedom to eat bacon, but you don't have to eat it. Make room for the one who doesn't want to. Because God welcomed them in Christ. Sacrifice your bacon for, for a brother. <laughs> I'm trying to summarize, use bacon as a summary for all the food laws. Right? Welcome them. Welcome is a hospitality word. It's, it's about receiving them into your life, into your home. Right? Freedom like family. I mean, we're, we're a family here at Hope Church. That's what the church is called to be. I mean, just imagine how crazy this would be. Titus the Roman inviting Joseph the Jew into his home. And in the background, bacon sizzling on the pan. He says, I'm so glad you're here, Joseph. Let's talk about what's wrong with your faith. <laughs> with bacon smelling, right? That, that, Paul's saying, don't do that. Welcome them where they are at. Love them. Befriend the person on the other side. Be willing to inconvenience yourself. Because, and here's the reason, see if we can find the verse here, 16, 17. Paul says they're not your servant, they're Jesus's. So who are you to condemn Jesus's servant when they don't belong to you? Welcome the weak. Right? Number two, one of the ways to care for someone, not only you've got to make room for the weak, but he asks the question, are you walking in love? And love is an, is an active sacrificial thing. Paul's saying, if you grieve a brother or sister by what you eat, are you loving them? Right? If you know it's going to make someone, right? If you're just going to push that button and you're going to see them tighten up <laughs> or literally just make them sad and offended, why would you do that? Are you, are you really that concerned about being right? Are you walking in love? And even more blunt, Paul, Paul goes on, are you willing to destroy the work of God for the sake of food? Right. Take the issue. What's the work of God? It's, it's building the church across the globe. Right. It's, it's bringing together people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to follow Jesus. God is at work building up a diverse community of Jesus followers. And so Paul is asking, are, are you really going to be the wrecking ball for something non-essential. That's where Augustine is really helpful, right? Where he says, in essentials, unity, right? Who Jesus is, the scriptures. In non-essentials, liberty, give people freedom. And in all things, let you be controlled by love. Right? So we need to welcome one another. We need to walk in love. And here's some great advice for 2020. Um, verse 22 you have opinions. Paul says, the faith that you have, keep, it, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not pass judgment on themselves for what he approves. He's not saying you can't talk about these things. 
He's not saying you can't talk about cultural disagreements. He's saying if you know it's going to scandalize another Christian, it's actually an act of faith to keep your mouth shut, to keep my mouth shut. And when you keep it between yourself and God, that's, that's an act of faith. This is good anti-virtual signaling wisdom. Good social media wisdom, too. Right? There's so much pressure to have an opinion on everything. Paul says it's, it's okay to just let this between you and God. His eyes are the only ones that matter. Right? Keep it to yourself. Let God's eyes and approval be enough. Those are some of the, the tools that we need to care for one another, to make room for cultural disagreements inside the church. Right. So how's that going for you? <laughs> right. Again, the point of Romans 14 is not to not talk about these things. It's, it's saying, what's your main goal? What's your priority? Right. Culture th issues are, are important. They're about our neighbors. God is for human flourishing. But his priority is for Christ and his church and welcoming sinners. Now you get to Romans 15, right? We bring in an offense, and so we got to work against being an offense. That's what we just talked about. And then he's really, Paul is very blunt about the welcome we're commanded to give. Right? So there's an offense we bring, there's a welcome we're commanded to give. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Do you hear how strong that language is? We have an obligation to bear with the weak. It's not an option. Right? We have an obligation to not make this about us to not please ourselves. Right. To make that more clear, my sister works for a debt collection company, meaning if you have student loans, she will call you and find you and make life difficult for you. I picture her as like the five foot three version of Liam Neeson from Taken. Right. That, that's her job. She works for this company and, and makes sure that people do not get away or escape their obligations. It's something we all get. If you have a debt, you are obligated to pay it. So Jesus says to the strong, you have, we have, an inescapable obligation to love your neighbor, to not please yourself, to build a community that is marked by people who pick up their cross and kill their own desires for the sake of another. Why? And this is where it gets really good. Because of Jesus. Right? That's verse 3. 15.3. Why for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches or the insults of those who reproached you fell on me. It's Psalm 69. Right? Jesus made building the church his priority for God's sake and, and he took a lot of flack for it. He was insulted, hated, for God's sake. That's what Paul's saying here. He's quoting David's experience. Right. So Psalm 69, it's helpful to know the context. Psalm 69 is King David. In the Old Testament, 
He's lamenting how his zeal, his commitment, his priority for God and God's ways has made him an outcast in his own country, in his own family. How he's mocked, he's laughed at, he's a, people tell lies about him. They're demanding him, apparently pay him back for things that he stole. Right? They're plotting his doom. And so Psalm 69 is this amazing prayer for God to intervene, for God to help him in the midst of some extreme persecution and hatred. And often what happens when the New Testament quotes the Old, I always want to point this out, it, you really want to read the whole context, the whole psalm. And when you get to the end of Psalm 69, David doesn't sound like Jesus. I don't know if you've read it. But David sounds a lot like our cancel culture. <laughs> because he says, God, punish them. This is not right. Verse 24. That's Psalm 69, Paul says, Pour out your anger upon them, let your burning anger overtake them, because they persecute the one you've struck down. They recount the pain of those you have wounded. I want you to add punishment upon punishment upon them. <laughs> May they not be forgiven. Blot their name out of the book of the living. Don't let them be enrolled in among the righteous. How's that for a prayer? Full of anger. Right? That's David's prayer. God, they, they know what they are doing. Don't forgive them. See my pain. Have compassion on me. May it be done to them what they're doing to me by you. And yet Paul says Jesus did something different even as he suffered for the same things. Psalm 69 is a picture of Jesus' welcome of us of how Jesus suffers like David, but he suffers more than David because he doesn't pray, God, don't forgive them who don't deserve it. He prays, Father, forgive them for they know what not what they do. And this is the point. Paul's trying to blast us with the gospel to put Christ right in front of your eyes to see that Jesus was so committed to building others up for God's sake that he's willing to take flack for it. He's willing to be insulted. He's willing to have his heart broken by even those close to him who disagreed. Right? That's also in Psalm 69. Hear Jesus in his humanity feeling this. The, the insults have broken my heart so that I'm in despair. I looked for pity and I got none. I looked for comforters, but I found none. Instead, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. This, this is really the gospel, is it not? Jesus suffered a broken heart due to the insults thrown his way because he made the church a priority for God's sake. And every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all point out that the soldiers offered Jesus disgusting wine on the cross as an act of inhospitality, of cruelty. In fulfillment of this passage. Right? So you're supposed to see that Jesus, by God's will, is struck down, and they're, they're throwing insults on top of that. Jesus is being wounded for our transgressions, and they're mocking him for loving the church. 
And all of that so that we could get this undeserved, scandalous welcome from God the Father to be adopted into the family, declared holy, declared blameless, to be forgiven. While we were yet sinners. And so if Jesus did that for those who were an offense to God, for us, for me, for every Jesus follower, Jew, Gentile, Democrat, Republican, mask wearer, offended by masks, whatever it is, if Jesus would be willing, don't blot them out. He says, Father, forgive them. Write their name in your book, Father. I'll pay for that. If he did that, how does that shape our welcome of one another? That's Paul's argument. Right? See, in the midst of culture wars, we need to remember first and foremost what we were to God when Christ died for us. We were offensive and we were offended by him. Right? Now, Romans 15 keeps going. Why did Jesus bear those insults? Because he was willing to endure for the sake of harmony, to put us on the same page. Literally, it's to think alike. Right? It's verse 4, that what was written in the former days is to teach us, so through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance, who deals with us, <laughs> may he give us the ability to agree with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Jesus suffers for the sake of harmony. Are we willing to do that? We also have to refine our goals. I mean, that's, that's part of the last part of this verse here. The purpose of coming together is not to say, yay, we like each other. It's to glorify the God of endurance, the God of encouragement, as we imitate Christ. That together, with one voice, we can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what kind of testimony does it say when we disagree strongly on, on these things and we turn and look at each other and say, I love you. Christ died for you. I'm not going away. Christ has endured me. I can endure you. <laughs> and if it wasn't social distancing, we would hug. <laughs> See, I spent a long time talking about the old culture war, the ancient war. I haven't applied it to any of the modern issues, but I think you can see how this works. Right? I mean, if you, you were to apply it to masks, I want to talk about politics sometime as a church next month. Right? Here's what Paul says. The strong are obligated to bear with the weak. Who are the strong in any of these issues? How do you know? I guarantee you, <laughs> you can tell me later if I'm wrong, but I'm 99.9% .9 sure that we all think we're the strong. Which means we are obligated to make room for the weak. And so what must you do when it comes to masks? Well, if you don't like to wear a mask, but you put one on and don't tell anyone, and just do it for the glory of God and love of your neighbor, and it's between you and Jesus, I mean, that is a glorifying, God-honoring thing to do. Yeah a sacrifice. That's just one way to apply this. So, last point here. Try and bring this to a close. 
Right, we've seen that we bring an offense into the church, so we need this wisdom. Uh, we're commanded to, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. That's, that's the grand summary statement of verse 7. And, and the other reason Paul gives to do this is because we're on mission together. That's verses 8 to 13. Right? The impact of Jesus' welcome clearly grew, grew the ancient church, Jew and Gentile together. Verses 8 through 13, describing Jesus, says he came to show God's true and to show his scandalous welcome of the outsiders, right? the Gentiles, the nations. Right? We are, as a church, on mission among our neighbors that people would know Christ. Therefore, it's Paul's grounding argument here, we have to let our passion for the right mission control our interactions with each other and with our neighbors. Right? A different zeal, a passion that unites people rather than tear them apart. So Psalm 69 again, why was Jesus willing to be insulted? Paul says, well, the psalmist says, for zeal for his father's house, it consumed him. Right? Zeal is envy or, or je a jealous love or an obsession. He's saying, I care most about God and his house and the people in that house. You know that, that psalm, the only other place, the other place in the New Testament where zeal for my father's house is quoted it's, it's the only time Jesus got angry that, that we have recorded. Right? Gentleness, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but when he got angry is when people did not make room for the Gentiles in the temple because they were buying and selling animals and filling the place for the, for the Gentiles. Right? That's, when he got, that's when he says, zeal for my father's house consumed me. That was my food. That's what I needed to do. See, if we're more known, if I'm more known for my zeal for a particular culture issue, it's going to be hard to be listened to when I'm talking about Jesus. All right. So, conclusion. These things aren't going to go away, <laughs> right? Next year, 2021 is going to come along and, and we're going to find something to be bothered by. Um, these things certainly need to be talked about and addressed by God's wisdom in the scriptures, and I would encourage you, please ask questions. Let's talk about it. I have things to learn, I'm sure. But if you're wondering how to apply this today, I mean, one, it's saying make room for people who think differently. Right? Like if you're, for example, if you're wondering what politics you must embrace if I'm going to become a Christian, right? I mean, that's one of the questions people want to know. I, my understanding of Christians is they think like this. Our job is to say, that, that's important, but that's not the most important. Who's Jesus? Did he rise from the grave? Is, he, is that story true? See, the answer is Jesus welcomes you who don't have your life together as you are. It'll affect your politics in the long run, sure. But Jesus matters more. Maybe another interesting application. Paul pictures all kinds of different people together, strong and weak. And when we come to a church, we look around and say, are there people like me here? Yeah. Is this full of the strong or is it full of the weak? I want to feel comfortable. And the, I think the gospel is encouraging us to stay even when people disagree or think these through these issues differently. To learn to endure 
to learn to be patient because our God is a God of endurance and patience. Are there people like me? Sometimes. But you'll become a person who endures, who becomes more Christ-like when you start interacting and rubbing shoulders with people who think differently. Why? Because that's how God treats me in the Son. He patiently bears with me by His grace. Bought and paid for on the cross. So go and meditate on these things and learn what that means. Let's pray. Now, Father, there's a lot of things said, and I pray that the, the true would be ringing in our ears, uh, that, that we would see Jesus, see his scandalous welcome of us when we were not well, when we were sick, when we were offensive. And that, in turn, would that shape the life of our church. If there are those here and online watching who are wrestling with the claims of Jesus, I pray your spirit would show them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the loving embrace of our Father. And it's, it's there where we find our peace. So send us out now as, as witnesses of this great gospel, uh, your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.